right. What should we start with, weather or coffee? I just finished my coffee. Uh, well, should you have refilled it before we started? Nah. Yeah. That requires getting up. Oh, boy. Are you on the floor? <laughs> I am not. I have not been on the floor in the monkey room for over a year. That's good. Yeah. I'm actually sitting in a chair like a big boy. <laughs> I've been worried we're going to have to send someone over there to, <laughs> to get you off the floor at some point. Well, when you pass 50, he's... We are getting to that stage, yeah, yes. You, you, it takes a whole lot longer to get up, and you have to be concerned about how sturdy the pieces of furniture are that you're using to pull yourself up with. So. Damn straight. Damn yep. straight you do. Yeah. Uh yes. And my my son who is planning for college in the fall, whenever I ask him to help with moving firewood or bags of wood pellets, looks at me and says, Well, shouldn't Sadie start doing this? Because I'm not going to be here next year to help you. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you you know my daughter, she's you know, eighty pounds soaking wet. Right, yeah. Although although my son's about ninety pounds soaking wet, so it's not a lot of difference. I would say my response to that is exactly. You're going to be gone soon, so I have to work you double hard to get the good out of you. That, that's pretty much how I've been going with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I did make the girl help carry forty pound bags of wood pellets from the car to the basement the other day, and that was the the, the look of utter defeat in her eyes. Um, <laughs> get her a little wagon. Yeah. Well, the, well, the best part of it is she's currently taking. They need to take and. You remember this growing up. You had to take gym like every other day for four years in high school. The, at least I did. They need to take two semesters of phys ed yep. in, in the course of high school. So she's on her second semester, and instead of taking just generic, you know, play kickball today, and I don't, I don't think they play kickball anymore, but, you know, it's <laughs> – she's doing weight training, believe it or not. Wow. And and they take tests on muscle groups and all that. Mm. Like it's, it's actually legit, you know, what am I doing to my body? But – the other day she's like, "Oh, it was leg day," uh, and I'm like, "Don't don't talk like you like you're a like, gym rat." Exactly. Leg day. <laughs> Give me a break. Leg day. Leg day. It's tomorrow, lower back days. You bend over and tie your shoes. Exactly. Exactly. If you turn if you turn sideways, you disappear. Like I, I don't want to hear about leg day. Nice. So ridiculous. And, and and that was I think she had just done shoulders the day before I was making her carry wood pellets. And, and and she's just harping on the shoulder thing. I'm like, you know what? This if you think you're sore from yesterday and the, you know, five and a half pounds they probably put on mm-hmm. you, wait until you start lugging these forty pound bags. Exactly. It's more about leverage than about strength. Let's <laughs> let's make this work. Life skills. You're young and rubbery, you'll rebound. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, the 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 sore the soreness comments from her—it just cracks yeah. me up so yeah. much. It's 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 like watching a, a bunch of IPA bros at the bar, like comparing IPAs and the dankness of it. It's like you don't really know what you're talking about. No, but it's so juicy, dude. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well, that's a good segue. I, I figured it might be. Yeah, that's it, a good segue. I wasn't even planning on that. It just sort of happened. Yeah, we're gonna talk about thiols and hops today and how thiols get into beer and how production practices impact thiols and your finished product because there's some interesting i would call it newish data out mm-hmm. on some of the biochemistry that's happening in the brew kettle as related to how hops are actually grown yeah the it, it's what what you gave me to to read to pre-prepare for this, mm-hmm. since I am not the scientist, was interesting. It was interesting on a couple of levels. It was interesting because I feel like it was written from a perspective of, if you know nothing about nothing, here's some information about beer that makes me sound like a science person. 
Right, for most beer geeks. It's for most beer geeks. <laughs> I, I guess my my question to you as you get into the science of this is, is, is this not new news for the brewing community? I mean, did, did, it, has this always been the brewing chemistry behind everything? Or is this kind of like as we as we learn more, we're finding new nuances and this and this is the chemistry behind it? Um, that's a fair question. And I will respond with a observation. This new thing called hop creep that's blown everybody's minds mm -hmm. and bottles yeah. mm -hmm. was written about in 1891. <laughs> and it was studied with peer-reviewed papers published in 1947. It's not a new thing. <laughs> but yeah, but I, here, it's how closely do we pay attention? It's that. And frankly, I've been saying this for years. How are brewers getting their education? Where is it coming from? What are they doing for continuous education? Most of the time, very little. They're in their basement, like putting potato chips into their brew. That Those are home brewers and God forbid the brewers in strip malls. But the it's, it's funny because it's true. Brewers in strip malls. Do they also fix yeah. a cracked screen if I need them to? That probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You bet mix some paint. Um, no, this is not new chemistry what is old is new again and people start to kind of re-engineer the wheel so to speak and where this journey begins we find ourselves at the end of the process with beer in our glass and having a sensory experience with some of my favorite words in the world juicy dank ipa <laughs> i managed to say it all without gagging I, um, I apologize for the PTSD you're going to have for the rest of the day for having to start yeah. with that. I just, yeah. I, on behalf of our listenership, we appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Me and, uh, and uh, Jim Beam are doing just fine over here. <laughs> uh, good old Jim. Nothing like Jim waking you up in the morning. He's a good talk friend. About he's a good juicy. friend. Yeah. It's not juicy and dank. That's why I had it. Okay. So this is not new. And those of you who are hip to the brewing scene right now, it's all about these, let's call them kickers to bump up your, your aroma content, whether they're, you know, cryo powders or hop oil aroma extracts, or, Hey, this crazy new yeast has been, gen you know, engineered to create more linalool and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's all on the back end, right? It's all like, what products can we add to basically finished beer? Much like saying, what flavoring can I add to this neutral grain spirit to make make it fizzy juice, right? Mm -hmm. um, stop it. It's lazy. <laughs> when you have a whole world of chemistry available to you that doesn't require you to buy something new and fancy, and actually you could maybe even get away with using your good old Cascade hops. And when it comes to IPAs, chasing that tropical fruit blast that you're looking for, it can be done by what we call very early hopping. Um, sometimes they call it kettle hop or first wart hop when oh, you're mash when in you're mashing mash. in. Yeah. Yep. When you're mashing in. So before you're actually generating wart, you're like, what? Why would I put it in there that early? You know, and there's been lots of lots of brewers that have been arguing about doing first wart hopping where really you've created the wort and you immediately add hops, right? The reason they were doing that, at least the explanation that, that they gave, and even the old timers give, is that, oh, it produces a, a less harsh bitterness. 
or I get so much more utilization out of my hops. Neither of those are true. What does happen, depending on this is variety dependent, is that when you add them in early, and ideally, if you want to do this reaction, you add it in during the mash, you're going to add hops. And oh, how much, dude, and which ones? And what? And it's like, eh, we'll get there, maybe. So you're going to put, you're going to put them in the mash. And what, what you're doing is, <clears throat> so these hops have a lot of thiols in them, right? So these are the things, the sulfurs that I'm super sensitive to. But most of the thiols are not free. They're not floating around and, you know, in solution after you put them in the beer. They're bound to other biological molecules. And until you unbind them, they have no aroma. But if you look at the total thiol concentration of a hop cone, like a Cascade, you're like, holy hell in a handbasket. That thing's got a ton of thiols in it, but you don't pick that up in like the IPAs you're making or whatever, right? That's because they're bound. So now the question is, how do I unbind these things? Mm-hmm. That's that's the secret in the brew house. The other secret is happening at the hop yard where we have to consider our production practices to understand, or at least try to understand, in air quotes, what we might expect that given season for thiol content based on the growing conditions, based on harvest timing. Because both of those play a big factor because that brewer who got Cascade from you last year, that let's say you had the right conditions and you had the, you hit the harvest timing right on the head and your thiol concentrations were high bound and unbound bound and free, I should say. Um, But this year, it's not the same, and the brewer's going to go make that same beer, expecting the same thing, and the and the kick isn't going to be as big. Why? Right. The first you know, first place they're going to go is you as the hop grower, because somehow you screwed it up. <laughs> of course, of course. So I think knowing why, what production practices influence general thiol concentrations is important, so that as a grower you know how to communicate to your brewer. Sure, and, you know we've talked so much in the past about the fact that you don't need to be a a brewing science expert, but when you go to sell your hops and the brewer says, well, when should I use these and what am I going to get out of these? This is this is the deep dive behind all that. Correct. So the fact that you will get different different flavors, different aromas, depending on when in the brew you're using it, the, the thiols and the free versus bound are what drive all of that. Now, not that the brewer wants to hear this level of explanation, but this is... This is why we're going there, because at the end of the day, it helps you have those conversations and sell. Yeah. And as brewers are being exposed to this research again, it's fair in fairness to my brewing sisters and brothers, there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of information out there and no single brewer can understand it all. It's just not going to happen. And just like I don't, I am not an expert on yeast biochemistry. I know enough to be dangerous. But that's why I have friends who are experts in yeast chemistry <laughs> um, and why we are experts in hops and why there are experts in malts and all that other sort of, you know, packaging is, is that you, you go to the sources when you have a specific question, usually, is a, why is this happening or you have a specific interest. So in this case, it's about bound thiols and the arms race for ever juicier, danker IPAs. Um, I am going to do that world of solid here as much <laughs> as I bash on them. It's all fun. 
Well, no, it isn't, but I <laughs> <laughs> give the people what they want. <laughs> give the people what they want. Yes. It was, it was, this is coming off of a, a week ago being a Siebel and um, getting into some interesting debates with my other lecturers during sensory analysis. Um, nice. And by the way, juicy is not a flavor. Just, just reiterate <laughs> that, right? Or an aroma. <laughs> yeah. It's an adjective. <laughs> <laughs> So it should only be on sweatpants. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so the, this idea of bound thiols versus free thiols. So we started, I started this conversation at the, in the brew house. So what, what does that mean? I mean, we could, we could go into the chemistry uh, on what's happening here. And I think it's probably best that we start just kind of by describing these thiols and what they do. Uh, like from the sensory perspective. There's loads of different thiol molecules. So a thiol is basically a, an organic molecule that has a sulfur in it somewhere. Sulfur is, we talked about this eons ago, about how human beings are hardwired to smell sulfurs at low concentrations, like parts per trillion, tiny, 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 tiny. And um, as a survival mechanism, mo many like plants and things in the wild that we would come across as to either eat or that would be dangerous, have these compounds in them. Why we want them in our beer, I don't know, but maybe we just like to live on the edge. <laughs> so, so we're hardwired for these thiol sulfur compounds and sulfur is a very unique atom in terms of the number of charges it has, how it bonds to things. And so if you can get a sulfur to bond with some of these organic molecules, you can make these really, funky um, molecules, big certain shapes that are very important to enzyme activity and all this good kind of stuff. In our case, the thiols that we're talking about, sometimes they're called mercaptans in the chemistry lingo, generate their, I call it a kicker molecule. It, it bumps up a notch of whatever other aroma compound is around it. There was a study done uh, I don't have it in front of me. It's actually part of my Siebel presentation, but there was a study done where uh, sensory scientists took like linalool geraniol and had, you know, spiked a, a general beer with it. And then, hey, yeah, it's floral and it's slightly fruity and, and a little bit perfumey. And then they dosed the same, the same blend with a thiol, 4-MMP in this case. And it took that bright floral fruity into something what they called exotic tropical fruit. And those are the only three things like aroma compounds in there. That's it. <laughs> That's oh. it. Right. I, I call them. Yeah. They're like modifier molecules that add a richness and a depth of character. It's also these styles are really present in tropical fruits. And I mean, not the ones that most of us are, are used to. Yeah. There's some in there. Uh, those standard like guava and passion fruit and all that kind of stuff. But like the, stuff that we can't get in North America because they don't ship very well. Um, and so, boy, some of those are just like, oh, my God, they smell awful, right? It smells like hell, but tastes like heaven. That's <laughs> um, what we say about the rambutan fruit. It's because it's got so much sulfur in it. But when you get it mixed with these other compounds that are less volatile, the, the, the flavor is just really rich and incredible. But the thiols are really volatile, so that's what you smell. <laughs> it's really awful. Huh. Um, you're like, why would anybody ever eat that? For the love of God! 
smells like dysentery diapers set on fire. It's awful. Um, you and your sulfur. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so some of these flavors that we get are highly sought after. So some of the ones that if I say black currant and passion fruit, there's people already drooling. I know in the Discord, they're just like, oh, where do I get that? That's that's a compound for MMP, and that comes from hops like Simcoe. Citra has some of it. Uh, Cascade actually has a lot of it in there, but it may be bound. Yeah. You've got citrus and something I don't, I haven't thought of, but this researcher calls it rhubarb. I'm like, that's interesting. Rhubarb does has this kind of musky earthiness to it. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. Um, and I've, I haven't had a chance to look up those molecules yet. It's not going to be a single molecule. I know generating that, but but it's a good way to describe it. Um, so 3MH, which is something that Citra has a lot of, uh, as you would think. Uh, citrus is one of the things that people say first and foremost, but then they call it, they call it rhubarb an exotic fruit. So I think 3MH is one of those compounds that's just really one of those kickers that's going to take whatever floral and fruitiness that you've got and turn it rich and exotic. You do not see these compounds in hops that we characterize as herbal or woody. And I think that's really interesting. I shouldn't say you don't see them. They're there. They're just not in very high concentration because when you add those compounds to like herbal and woody, it starts to remind one of like compost and, and like rot, (laughs) (laughs) not something you're looking for. Right. So it's not always a good kicker. And there's some other ones like three, three MHA that's passion fruit, guava, tropical fruit. See, see the trend here. They're all very similar, but then we get down to this other one and I'm not, I'm using the abbreviations because I'm not going to bore you with all the the long names, but like three, three MO now three MO you're start you're and that's a mercaptan. So sulfur connected with an alcohol. The O is octanol, three macapta octanol, peaches and stone fruit. Okay. Now people are like, oh, hello. Yeah. I like that one. I like that one. And then you've got 3M, 4MP, which is also very similar to the first ones we mentioned, rhubarb and citrus. See where I'm going here? Oh, for, the most, yeah. for the most part, I mean, besides the 3MO, which is a special class of molecule, you're getting this, let's just call it tropical fruit, exotic fruit, stinky fruit. That's what you're getting. And we we love these. We, I'm talking about the general beer drinking audience, not me. Love these. <laughs> I, I like some. I like some. I, I hope everyone listening appreciates the sacrifice he's making. I, li- I like some. <laughs> I've gagged like a half a dozen times so far. And I'm like 20 minutes in. So I like some of these. But it's enough. Now I've forgotten. It's awful. Stone this fruit. is, this is what it does. Yeah. This is what this is what it does to me. Uh, uh. So these compounds are free. We love them, but most of them are bound. So how do we get them unbound? That's the question, right? And really, it comes down to yeast activity. Mm-hmm. So some yeast, and there is a whole list of yeast varietals that I'll share on the Discord uh, that have high what we call beta lyase activity. And beta lyase is an enzyme that can cleave and clip out these thiol molecules out of these larger bound molecules in order to create something that's volatile. That's pretty important if you want stinky beer. So the way we get these thiols bound 
the best extraction we can do. It's a, it's a fairly complex reaction, but basically it has to do with the amino acids that are present in the malt and some of the sulfur compounds therein and the sulfur compounds that are in the hops and getting them in the wort or in the mash early and heating them will get them to bond. And if you can get them to bond, you're not going to lose them through the boil. And the longer you leave them there in that condition, the more bonding you're going to get. And I imagine the more the more change you're going to get. So depending on what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, you have to, you put hops in that early, you're going to flash off pretty much everything. Yeah. You are going to isomerize, so you have to consider that in your bitterness, you know, calculations. But we're talking right now, we're getting it we're basically taking a pre step to a proactive step to lock up those styles so they don't flash off. Mm-hmm. But once you get them locked up, you got to unlock them somehow. And how do we do that? That's what happens during fermentation. The certain yeast strains will produce this beta lyase enzyme and go in and preferentially cleave these styles out of these larger cysteine molecules, amino acid molecules. And now it's free. It's released. It's flavorful now. And these are these are engineered yeast strains, right? These are not natural. Well, I mean, as we say engineered, I mean, you could insert, a, you know, the beta lyase gene using CRISPR if you wanted to. And I'm sure some people have done that. But some of these are just, you know, traditional breeding that happen to be high in beta lyase. And really, as a as a brewer or home brewer, that's what you're looking for. If you want, if 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 you're into this sort of thing, you know, more more thials in your beer. Maybe you don't need to look for the next skunkiest, dankiest hop. Maybe the hop that you've got in front of you will suffice and actually might be way better than something that you might not be able to get a hold of very easily, like Cascade. <laughs> this 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 Cascade around, I hear. There's a little bit of Cascade around. Mm-hmm. Let's see, where do I go from that? So I don't want to talk too much about all of the chemistry behind what's going on here. So just bore everybody to death. But <laughs> uh, some of us are very interested in this. So let's take this back to the hop yard. Talk about some of the studies that are done. What are the factors that affect, let's call it the native levels of these sulfur compounds in the hop yard? And let's take a look at some of these varieties. What are our opportunities? Where do I start? <sighs> let's say, let's let's start with the obvious. If you're sulfur deficient in your hop yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, none of what we just talked about applies to you. <laughs> it, likely, you're going to be very low in thiol concentrations. Um, so, obviously, proper plant nutrition is number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have proper plant nutrition dialed in, your plant is going to have at least its raw materials available to do what it's going to do based on what mother nature says is going to happen. Mm -hmm. What we find in studies in general is that uh, this is going to break people's hearts. I'm sorry. (laughs) The location of the hop, where it's from doesn't really seem to make that much of a difference. What? James, but, but terroir, terroir. <laughs> suck it, <laughs> right? Uh, now, to say there are no differences would be unfair. Um, there are differences. They're not statistically significant. 
So that means they don't exist. I, I, uh, I think I think this entire topic was was for you was aiming toward this moment. Exactly, it was. And suck, it's exactly what I said to one of the lecturers last week at Siebel when I when I showed him the data. So, <laughs> um, oh my, yeah, that got big laughs too. But I kid because I love, but I'm not kidding. <laughs> what we see though is interesting. We see a big effect of harvest timing, which stands to reason. These are these products are maturation products of the hop cone, much like alpha acids are. You know, you harvest too early, total oil content, you harvest too early, the flower's not done maturing. Simple as that. So if we're harvesting too early, uh, we see our, mostly what we call our precursors. So these are the, the pre-molecules leading up to like that 3MH or 4MMP. Massive differences in thiol levels based on variety. Huge, huge differences. And so we talked about that 3MH molecule. When we go back and say, said um, hmm. my notes, that's the citrus rhubarb and exotic fruit. That's the citra one. Okay. Um, so I'm looking at my charts here, and my charts are in nanograms per gram. So really tiny amounts. For the precursors of 3MH, this is, these are relative scales, right? I'm just going to give you some numbers because there's no units here. Oh, yeah, milligrams, nanograms per gram. Cascade for instance, has a total of about 22,000 nanograms per gram of 3MH precursors. Citra has 6,000. So C Cascade has uh, four and a half times more of this precursor for the thiols that Citra is known for. But it's bound Okay. Think about that. Yeah. Holy hell. <laughs> now everybody's like, where's that citrus? Get rid of the citrus. Give me the cascade. <laughs> I can get that. People are trying to give that stuff away. I mean, it's amazing. And then I, I continue to look down the line here. That same cascade at, at 24, 25,000 nanograms per gram, mosaic is at 5,000. Really, the only thing that comes close is Simcoe. And we see that time and time again also when we compare 4-MMP, that, that black currant and passion fruit. In that case, it's reversed. Simcoe has the most, with Cascade following it in second place. Huh. Now, compare in a hop rub, even a, or a beer, the traditional beer, I should say traditional, a beer not made with one of these beta lyase enzymes. You'd be like, these. I'm not getting anything out of the cascade like that. Of course you're not, because it's bound. So how are we going to unbind it? Well, we're going to use beta lyase. That's how we're going to do it. It, it, it. It's like you're you're hammering, it's like you're trying to hammer a nail through a board using the wrong end of the hammer. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, right. If you're not using this properly. And it's interesting that this, let's see, the papers and stuff that I've been reading and, and presenting on, you know, these are like 2021 data. Here's 2020 data. Back in 2013, Joe and I were talking about this. 2012 with Simcoe is such a big deal. And Joe mm -hmm. says to me, why don't you just use wine yeast? It has beta lyase in it. Huh. And I, one of the commercial enzyme preparations that they're recommending, wine yeast. Wine yeast. 
Joe, you're ahead of your time. Mm-hmm. This is the only time that's ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now he's smiling in a lab right now because I know he listens while he's in the lab. Um, no, he's out on a lake over a over a hole. Oh, in the he's ice. fishing. Yeah. He could be fishing too. Yeah, it's more likely to be fishing nowadays. That's what old guys do. <laughs> um, so the other thing. So obviously, if you want to get that cascade and make it the most that you possibly can of it, you're going to want to make sure you know the care and feeding of it is proper. The harvest timing is proper. The interesting thing is that environmental stresses also produce thiol compounds or increase thiol concentrations in in hops. And in some cases, at least two documented cases, some of these thiol compounds are used as signaling molecules between plants. So it's used as a molecule to talk to another hop plant to tell it that it's under attack. It's It's an output of the acquired systemic response, which is basically a plant immune system. And that's really cool. (laughs) Um, The problem with that is, depending on the type of stress that the plant is under, will the type of stress the plant is under will determine the kind of compound that's produced, right? So if we've got a plant that's got a lot of physical damage going on, let's say a lot of wind whipping or things of that nature, it's going to produce one type of compound. If you've got a plant that is under attack, by insects, it's going to produce another kind of compound. And I think people might recall me telling the story about the hops that smell like burning tires. Oh, yeah, once or twice. Yeah. Well, that's an example of that, where those plants that are under under attack by insects are producing dimethyl and trimethyl sulfides instead of these other thiol compound precursors because it's taking that sulfur and using it to basically create an insecticide. And to as a as a signaling molecule to other hot plants to say ramp up your defenses because I'm being attacked. So you're going to have high sulfur concentrations, but it's not going to be in the form you want it in. <laughs> so there's, but unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do about it. About the only thing you could do to reduce the thing those burning tire aromas is high heat drying and trying to flash those sulfur compounds off. But you're not going to get rid of them or some varieties are more intense than others in these compounds. It's an interesting balancing act because you, you, people say, oh yeah, your hops, you got a lot of sulfur in there. Yep. But what kind, what kind do you want? <laughs> like, well, I want, I want the good kind. <laughs> the good kind. <laughs> and that would be what again? It's, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. I was looking here for another data set on, what we found using varieties like you're like okay cascade but i don't want cascade apparently and i did not know this that varieties such as uh let me find them here hollow tower uh varieties like saws and tetnanger and these ones that we use for pilsners have these thiols bound thiols in them we don't necessarily think about using these varieties because they're not like fruity and floral hops, right? Mm-hmm. I had said earlier they're they're more they can be a bit perfumey, but they're more maybe herbal and earthy. It's like maybe you don't want to release those <laughs> in those hops. You're like, hey, I'm going to try this with with Sterling and and Saz and see what happens. Like, well, I mean, go for it. Let's see what happens. You have the opportunity, but 
it may not be such a great thing. Well, you've, I mean, you're opening up your whole new world of, of opportunity and things to mess around with. And we always talk about how it's an art. It is. So, and, and it's purely, this is, you can play around now for hop growers, you know, the best you can do is basically do no harm. But the thing that we're looking for is proper harvest timing. And I would say, frankly, a little bit of plant stress isn't a bad thing. Hmm. I would, I would not want to see plant stress from like insects and whatnot, but if we look, if we take a clue, uh, a cue from other horticultural crops in order to increase aroma and flavor content, and sometimes sugar, uh, they will slightly stress the plants just before harvest. And they usually do that with water. So they'll starve them in water a little bit. Well, with hops, that doesn't work so much because the cones are drying out anyway. <laughs> so it's not like <laughs> the plant's not using much water at that point. So water stress isn't going to help. But I'm thinking that folks that have maybe varieties that are heat sensitive and have heat stress, I'm hypothesizing here, but I would say varieties like Cascade and those other ones that show high precursor levels would probably be, would probably show more of those precursors should they be exposed to some of these environmental stressors pre-harvest. I don't do with that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> My saws didn't need any extra stressing, that's for sure. Uh, or I didn't grow stressful spalt or mandarina bavaria. But yeah, there was a note here about um, about some of the the southern hemisphere varieties mm -hmm. that were very specific. Three uh, mo. Yep, three mo. Nectarine and the white peach. Yep, correct. Yep, that's a like I said, that's an alcohol thiol, which are not super duper common. By virtue of having this gigantic alcohol on the end of the thiol, gives it a different solubility. It gives it a different presentation of character. But you look at those long alcohols, what we call mono, it, other long chain alcohols in that are present in hop aroma compounds. We typically call monoterpene alcohols, and they are quite fragrant on the fruity to floral side. So, like beta ionone and uh one three and decatrine and those sorts of things that are like pineapple and berry flavored right fruit flavors um apple pear this would kind of fall into that category but the fact that it's got a thiol tagged onto it is really interesting which is where that that peach nectarine component comes from but in, but in this day and age why shouldn't i just dump in a couple cans of canned peach puree and be done with it well, you do whatever you want. Yeah, I got grown from the students, too, because they were so tired of hearing that. <laughs> there was another line in this article, by the way, which made me think of you, because it was a sort of a nicer way of using your tagline. It, it said at one point, like everything else in science, the answer can be complicated and a bit varied. It depends. It depends. Absolutely true. And you can have fun with it. I mean, have fun with it. Uh, if you're if you're a brewer, you don't need to use special yeast. You can buy beta lyase enzyme, food grade, hmm. and chuck it in. I mean, why not? You chuck in Fruit Loops. Why not just talk and talk, chuck in some enzymes? It's okay. I would love love to see a follow up talking about how to pull out the various flavor profiles of said Fruit Loops. That can be done. There are so many different you know fruit flavors in there. That could be done. Yeah. 
I wonder if I can get a hold of the artificial fruit flavoring list for Fruit Loops. Probably. See how it compares to to what we're trying to pull out of the hops. Stay tuned. I hope everyone listening appreciates the sacrifice he's making right now.